0: hi there everybody welcome to another episode of cloud-based mayhem got a big one for you today I was thinking this last week you know I need to do a walk down memory lane with some of uh, the X alps pilots who have done it many times you know these memories fade for the fans and for the athlete and their teams and wanted to uh, sit down with some of these folks and take us back through the races kinda of their best and worst moments stuff that probably isn't on live tracking that many of you don't know about, and me. So the first I sat down with is the eagle, Kriegel Maurer. Not much needs to be said in the intro about Kriegel. He has won seven, he's never not won. His first was in 2009. He is preparing right now for his eighth. And uh, he is always the man to beat. So please enjoy this wonderful and uh, make you smile walk down Memory Lane with Kriegel Maurer and his seven X Alps campaigns. Kriegel, good to see you, and uh, welcome back to the show. I, I had this idea for for a show with the X Alps coming up. You're eighth; you've won seven. <laughs> and my wife said last night, "Do you think someone could beat him?" And I said, "No, nah, I don't think so yet." But I I thought it'd be really fun to kind of take a walk down memory lane with you you know these these things fade as we go by you know it it made me think about my first in 2015 but I thought we could we could go back with you and revisit you know maybe a high point and a low point from each of your races and if you could if you could set it up for us a little bit because even the fans have probably lost some of the memories about what the route was back in 2009 and And what the weather was like in general, of course, all the races have, you know, but I know, for example, in 2011, the weather was pretty, pretty tough. And Toma walked a ton and and did pretty well, but set it up for us a little bit. Hi again. (laughs) It's good to see you. And uh, and let's just, let's take a walk down memory lane with you, with your x as you head into your eighth.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. It's a, it's a great idea. Uh, Thinking back, it's always nice um, because uh, it's already a long time when I start uh, the adventures. In 2009 we was really new in this uh, adventure sport for me the team sport was new and um, yeah then then we started the alps for the first time I remember uh, it was uh, not sure that we can even do one or two days because it was so big and and I was so unsure how I can walk I was sure that I can fly well but but to fly well it needs a uh, it needs a, a good strategy to be on the right place. So it starts uh, really hard and uh, I really made a big mistake at the first day. I lost my mobile phone and all the live tracking was connected with the mobile phone. So there was no live tracking on my part and my support, Thomas, he was not know exactly where I am. And finally, we was really lucky that someone phoned my phone he called the number he was on the top of the list, and this was Thomas. So he got uh, an information about my phone, and then he was driving back to the phone, and he he catched and uh, everything was good when I was back with the with Thomas. Um, I was sending all the all the all the live tracking data, so even uh, I, I did uh, not uh, needed the the backup. So it was very lucky, but it showing us how an adventure works how it's a difference between a competition and an adventure and i think it was the best um the best thing or the best mistake what can happen to show me this and it was the first day on 2009 X-UPS. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that could be tough. I lost my phone on the second day of the 2017 race and oh, it was a nightmare for about 30 minutes, just wandering around in the bushes, how, telling my team, please call, just call my phone, call yeah, yeah, it yeah. over and over again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think finally it was, it was good to continue and to, to make day by day. And we had a good strategy already to, to make the day report and to learn from our mistakes and finally this gave us uh, always new ideas how we can manage ourselves
0: and and what were you what were you flying uh, wing-wise and harness-wise then because the we heard that you were really the first one that really pushed the lightweight you know uh, before 2009 people were carrying really heavy kit and and you showed up i think i have this right you showed up with with quite light gear i'd, I'd love to know how light was it in compared to now, and and what were you flying?
1: That's right. In in two thousand and three, Henny was the winner, and he carried sixteen kilo. And then, some manufacturer starts to build light gliders. When they used the light cloth, but they not have a light construction, so the gliders come down from six kilo to four and a half, maybe, and then. In 2008, I was selected and I was test pilot with Advanced, so I was able to to push the the, the construction in lightweight, and we built a new prototype which was three and a half kilo, um, which was very light for this time, and finally the the construction was light and and also the clothes, and then in 2011 there was not a big advantage. 2013, there was the new rule to have certified gliders, certified harnesses, and it makes the equipment a bit heavier again. And then with 2015, with the two-liner, uh, that was quite heavy for for this time, and the three-liner was uh, down to three kilo already. So in total, it means in 2009 it was with eight kilo, quite light. Compared to the others they had nine and a half to ten or even more. Mm-hmm. and in 2015 there was already less than eight kilo with the, with the certified gliders. and my lightest harness was 2013. There was a, a special one which was certified but really light, no not so much uh, comfort, but it was working just for the for the adventure. The glider was light and, and I guess that we can come to this weight um, in these years. The, the, there was uh, several manufacturers that built very light gliders. Now they have also light harnesses, rescues and good back protection system which makes the equipment more or less 6 kilo. The minimum equipment means the fly equipment also, the helmet is 400 gram already. The backpack is 400 gram. But 6 kilo, it's quite light.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It, obviously, it ended in Monaco then. But did it start in the Dockstein in 2009? Or was were you back at the Mozartplatz the Mozart mm-hmm. Platz in then? In
1: 2009, that was the first time they started at the Mozartplatz in Salzburg City. Then we went up okay. to Geisberg. And then direction south to Watzmann. This um, the high mountains in Berchtesgaden, mm. and from there it crosses all the Alps to the south, so uh, to Kronplatz, and and this crossing was quite hard because it was uh, still in the snow, so the border was in the snow, and I spent a half a day walking in the, in the snow, <laughs> so it was a, a hard entry <laughs> in a competition, and it was the last edition which was without the night. Um, break, so we we had to to walk, or we ah. was able to walk all the night without sleeping. And for me, it was sure that I have to sleep at minimum. We said four hours, and um, most of the days it was more than four hours. But uh, I slept every night. Compared to the others, there was some athletes that was not sleeping so much, and they was really on the edge uh, after some days. Huh? <laughs>
0: Was that was that rule change uh, a suggestion that came from, from you and others after that race, or was that something they were contemplating anyway? That you know, the go on. They didn't have the night pass back then. You could just go for yeah. It.
1: There was in analyzing the the organization saw that we was the leader after um, nine days with the most of, of rest time, and then they realized that it's more fast when the athletes can rest or the team can rest. And to have more safety they they bring this rule to to stop to sleep and in two thousand thirteen there was even more rest time up to five and a half hour and two thousand fifteen there was the first edition with the night pass
0: yeah i got my i got two night passes on that one with the prologue gotcha. and uh i learned i learned that that nec- not isn't necessarily a good thing <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a hard uh, decision to choose it and then to to make the best with and not to push too much to be damaged
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we 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 pushed too much in a rainstorm the the first night pass it was it it slaughtered me it was a terrible decision but okay so you lost your phone uh what about a really good memory from from 2009 maybe that actually <laughs> is a good memory but uh do you have something that when you think back on 2009 your first win that was that you know still still something that makes you smile
1: yeah um for sure it was was good to have this shortcut direction zermatt we we was directly uh on the monte rosa south face or east face we climbed uh 2000 meter up past the glacier and on the glacier we made this start with the rope this towing start and the helicopter oh, was with yeah. us filming this start and for us it was always a good example to speak about teamwork. So I have a mountain guide bring me up to the glacier, pull me in the air because the glacier was flat and then I fly direction Matterhorn and continue and he had to walk back, walk to, um, down to the car driving all the way above the passes and this shows really how in this uh, race the teamwork is working. And when we had this experience, we always think about how we can make this or how we can create a situation like this to help each other with different skills. And then um, it helps us many times in different races.
0: I think you said this on a previous show maybe, or maybe I asked Thomas this actually when we were working together last year, but how did you and Thomas connect for that first time? I met him at just seven months before the race because
1: I was looking for a mountain guide. He was in the studio, so he was not so um, free to train and to make good preparation, but finally he was enough motivated to to work with me to see what's working in the practice with the athlete from his uh, know-how from the studio. And finally, it was the best what, what can happen because we start to work quite um, constantly and seriously. And then he learned how to, to support and finally he was the only one supporter I, I bring and he was driving the car all day and he was really on the edge like me too. But we was managing and for sure it was uh, no social media work, it was not so much uh, fans on the road. So it was so, mon- so many things less to do in these races compared to now. But... Um, we was really really on the on the on the on the border and and uh it was a good experience and we was really learning from each other what we need how we work, and for sure that we not communicate good enough <laughs> because communication is always difficult <laughs> when you are tired when you're stressed and since then I've started to learn how to communicate better in difficult situations and and he too. <laughs>
0: I was going to ask you. Some somebody the other day asked me, "Hey, does Kriegel ever get angry? Does he ever get upset? You know, you see, you see pilots in World Cups and that kind of thing get really pissed or kick their helmet. Do you, do you get angry when you make a bad mistake, or is it just part? You know, you let it roll off you pretty easy." No,
1: I'm I'm really focused on on, on um, performance. Um, my luck is that I I do competition since a long time, so I start two thousand. And I had really hard time when I was in uh, in PwC in 2002-2003. I was really pissed off and uh, and I made a lot of noise outside. <laughs> but finally, there was a, a time of learning and to understand that paragliding sport it's working differently. And that I have to accept things. And when I start the adventure races, the hike and flight competitions in 2009, I was already... Uh, old and that was managing me myself quite good so that helps me to to look seriously from
0: outside you mentioned before we started talking that you're, you're right now Thomas is going to support you again he'll be I guess your main supporter but you're you're trying to find your new team. You've changed your team quite a bit over the years with with XPEER and Dolomiti, and it, I often see new people that I haven't seen before. Do you think that's important to, or is that more important than just keeping the same core team? Because I imagine you could have the same. You know, people would love supporting you and would do it over and over again, uh, kind of like Thomas has done. You guys had a big break there for a couple couple races, but. Uh, what's your philosophy on putting together your team? Yeah,
1: I I really try to keep the supporters. But in in an example, Thomas, he's he started working with his company. He he was a father in 2015 of uh, two killed kids, and uh, the time is always the problem. So spending uh, so much time for training and preparation, and then for the race, it's not always easy. So and then there was sometimes it was or till 2014 or 15 we worked together and then 2016 he was complaining because of the time then i was start working with tobias Dimmler and then he grow up and he he start to um, work uh, differently he was in uh, india and and traveling a lot so i i looking out for a new team and it was changing like this um but for my philosophy, it's uh, to have uh, people who are motivated to work with me and uh, to learn something in this way of uh, adventure and paragliding sport. And I really like to share them all my experience. And they come with me to the competitions and try to do the best and having fun. And 2020, Thomas say, okay, my family it's working well. The company is increasing. So... Uh, we can start uh, training for the next x again and so 2021 he was with me again and uh, for for the next edition we, we're looking forward and we need more people because there are so much things to do and with a team of three or maybe four with the other car it uh, looks for us uh, really working well so we, we continue like this and now we Look for people which is uh, motivated and spending time, because the preparation and the f- three four weeks competition it's quite a lot for uh, just for holiday.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a no, it's a it's a huge commitment. Okay, two thousand eleven. I know the the weather was bad, but maybe you can tell us uh, briefly what the what the route was. I was watching you guys from Scotland in this one. I was sailing up in in scotland that summer and that's when i got really interested in it so i remember this race quite well but uh hansa and toma it seemed like it was it was a lot of ground game in 2011.
1: Yeah, because the route starts um heading to the east first to dachstein and then back to the west and it was a it was a hard entry because there was a strong south wind it was fun and i remember there was ogisawa with the boomerang boom 8 it was really performing well and and in the fern he had really big collapses but he was managing well he was first in the first day and then the second day we spent all day on the road together with paul Guschelbauer. i walked 95k and on day 3 oh. we was completely destroyed and then we had to to cross the main ridge direction um right Trecime, Cime, in Dolomiti. And then on day four, I had to walk again all day. Um, It was horrible weather. And then day five, I spent in a small flight, but then I made a big mistake. And from outside, it looks like a big magic move. But for me, it was uh, hard to realize that I made a mistake. I flew after Meran, direction Martell instead of the Stelvio Pass. And I wanted to cross the Stelvio Pass, Bormio, and then direction Zermatt. And instead, I was one valley too early in the south. And Thomas told me when I was landed that I am staying in the wrong valley. I had to walk back and say, no, it's not possible. I want to continue here. <laughs> so there was a big discussion. And I was really frustrated because I realized that I was wrong. I was navigating by paper maps so there was no gps and like this we made mistakes and and finally was really frustrated but then after a while we, f- we found a new solution we found this way to the Kasati hut this was a small hut on 3000 meter the weather was horrible it was snowing and foggy and we were able to, to catch the hut before the night because there was the new rest time at 11, and uh, then we was really lucky that the next day was flyable from the hut from 3000, and that was really in a good position because the, the teams in the south was in stable air, the teams at Stelvio Pass in the north was in fern in strong north wind, and that was really in the middle, and I was able to fly more than 200k in this day, and I flew oh. all the way to Zermatt. But then on the way I hit the the airspace in Ticino uh, by one meter. Finally it was one meter with uh, three different tracks in four different programs calculating and uh, the worst was more than 10 meter inside and the best was one meter but one meter is one meter too much and and I was spending one day there was 24 hour penalty in Zermatt and there was a hard lesson but but finally, it's the rules, and, and my luck was that the, the flight in the day before was so good, so efficient that I could stay in front with the rest day, and I was able to to uh, recover from all these hikes we had on the days before. I was really happy. I was uh, really destroyed, and that was I think it was in the first time in my life, really on the, on on sitting down, and I was sure I have to stop. The race because my my legs was damaged, and with this rest time wow. or this this uh, day off, uh, I was able to to recover. I recovered good enough to continue walking on the on the day in zermatt and then I was flyable a bit. So um, it was unbelievable experience to to realize that even at the point you not see how to continue somehow you can continue and you can make it to the end
0: is that the one where you wrote your name in the track log
1: finally yes because uh, we was in a lead in uh, <laughs> in uh, france we was south of the bonnet pass and the weather was horrible this afternoon uh it was my birthday and then we was calculating the chance to finish of the day or the next day and there was uh, the forecast looks good to fly the day uh, after and and, and so I, I decided to stop in the afternoon and we wait there for for, uh, for hours. We were sleeping in the afternoon, there was raining and then we tried the life tracking because the life tracking, it's the the best thing uh, with the alps what they do. And finally we was trying the new precision of the new life tracking and it was really good. So we, we walked on the, rock, on the, on the grass and, and hiked this hello. And you can clearly see at the live-checking the hello. But it was my birthday. <laughs> and the day after it was flyable and I could finish the race first. And it was so, so good experience.
0: <laughs> we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but I, I need to ask, is that of the seven wins does, does one of them stand out more? Did, did, did any of the seven mean more than the others?
1: No, I think the first was really the best because I really right. want to win and I was was unsure how it works. The second was was more in a lead, so I was really in a comfortable situation. It was not really a race after. And the third one was, was even better. I, I had the big the biggest advantage ever, almost 300k. And, yeah, for me always when I won a competition, the first, it was the most important, and after I was, I was uh, like an extra. So it was the same in PwC, the same in Swiss championship, and and so on. And for me it was always um, the challenge to win first, and then to the afterwards I, I really enjoyed the competition, but, but the win was was sometimes n- not as special as the first one.
0: And I think in 2011 that was when Tomo was second. Yeah, that, yeah, right? he was running all he the was... rest,
1: and he was walking for 85 k in eight hours and more than thousand kilometers thousand meter uphill, and he he was arriving running, and it was I was so impressed about him. But the next morning I was together with him in the in the hotel. And he was not able to walk at, at the table. It was hard to see this.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, he's a glutton for punishment. He's back again. Um, okay, 2013. I also remember this one really well because I was starting to think about it at that point. And uh, wow, the weather was amazing. You, you finished the race in a little over six yeah. days, yeah, right? That was the
1: fast one, yeah.
0: So tell us about that. That was I remember. I remember the the first day you guys flying down the Pinsgau. You were you and Aaron and you, I think you made it all the way to, to uh, the Zugspitze that day.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And finally, I was really lucky because I was just crossing the mountains of Karwendel. and um, the, the, there was a thunderstorm coming, and I was just passing, and for Aaron it was uh, not able to pass. So, I had a bit an advantage already in the in the second day, and then it was flying really good all day quite far and and finally, I flew from solden to Grimsel Pass that was for me uh, unbelievable and Then I was already at home there was a turn point at home that was really emotional because i I arrived just before the at noon, and there was a lot of friends and my family and and I really was happy to arrive at home, uh, and then it was really hard to to leave because uh, everything was perfect. I had a good lead, but I realized the conditions are good. And the next was Mont Blanc, and I I was really unsure how to to fly there because it was so far. No, it was Matterhorn and then Mont Blanc, and and, and then I I start. And I tried to to fly along the mountains, which I know well, but uh, that it wasn't a, a flight was so successful I was not expecting. In the evening, I was in the south of of Mont Blanc. I was on the wrong side of the of the big mountain. Everybody expected I made a big mistake, and uh, we had the plan to fly around and going north of the Mont Blanc. Uh, when I was turning around. So, finally, it was a really good tactic and was a big surprise for, for some of the followers. And for us, it was just nice to to have this scene before and to try and to, to believe that it works. And finally, the, the lead was uh, really big.
0: That was where you, you went to Chiavena and up the backside, I mean, the south side and around. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing to watch. So, that was the plan? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, because the...
0: This is when you were really, really cold, right?
1: Yeah, it was it was horrible. I was flying almost on 4,000. That was minus. And I remember I landed on, on zero or 200 meters sea level. That was 36 degrees. So the the difference between zero or minus one on 4,000 and plus 36 on the ground, it was, it was huge. Mm. And I flew all the way south from Mont Blanc in this height, and it was really freezing all the time. Uh, but but for me, it's normal to freeze because when I push on the ground, my body is recovering and I always, having cold, I can wear all the jackets I have. It's not working. Uh, my fingers are cold. Um, and so I know how it works. But uh, by moving and shaking hands, normally it works well.
0: <laughs> the... the uh... Now I might have my years wrong here, but in 2013 was that wasn't that also when you took off from the Furka and had a really scary flight, to, basically to your house?
1: Yeah, I I I had a, a short a short stop at Furka, but then I I flew just until Grimsel Pass. There is normally a strong north wind, the Grimsel wind, and then I rest on the pass. For two or three hours until the wind its uh, degrees to fly to the north and then and the next day I flew home to Interlaken. So it was uh, it was a long flight from Sölden to Grimsel Pass with a small stop at Furka.
0: And was it was was that the one that was really scary? Didn't you have a really scary flight that you when you landed you were pretty shaken up? You told me. Um, yeah. Was that 2013?
1: It was this yes because at the Oberalp pass before the wind was really strong. Thomas told me with the message it's more than 70 on the pass. I was 1000 meters above so there was not so windy but I was with strong backwind. and then at Furka pass it was not so much wind but I saw the wind at Grimsel. That's why I landed on the Furka to to breeze and to think about what I do and to be sure what I do because I was really Pushing all the day, I was cold. I was I had not too much to eat, to drink, and uh, after, if you see these problems in front, um, it's stressful for sure. And to land and to think about, it's always a good option.
0: As you as you tick off these X Alps, you're 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 certainly not old, but you're getting older, and you're you know got kids and the whole thing. Does your does your approach to risk, is it changing? As the years go by, I I found that after I had my daughter, this, this last one, I don't know that it affected how I flew or my approach, but it was definitely something that was on my mind was just that, you know, this, this last one, we had a lot of fern, we had a lot of wind like we did in 2015, but also the bad weather. There was, there was a lot of times where I felt like it was was just pushing it. You know, I, I felt fine in the time of doing it, you know, but. After the race I thought, geez, that's that was quite a bit of risk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I
1: realized that I I think my best years was 2012 to 14, 15. And because I was really focused on flying and pushing always in cross-country, in testing. And then I started to fly less because I spent more time with the family. While flying or while competing i i really focus on flying and not thinking too much on family but but in training i i think more and more about serious training and risks in training so to to risk less in the training makes sense but then my experience my feelings are less in the competition and then yeah. it's very important to not trying new things in the competition keeping all the experience from the trainings, and and this is a hard uh, border. And I know, for example, for next year, I have to really to train a lot to push my uh, the limits, but because of co- becoming older and smarter, it's really hard. <laughs> 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 yeah.
0: Okay, 2015. Uh, this, this would have been your 9, 11, 13, this is our fourth one, 2015. Yeah
1: finally I, I switched back to Advance. Advance had the first um certified competition glider and I was really motivated with this OXA1 and I was together with Thomas and we made the special move to bring an electric car as a supporter car. So to 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 have the challenge to support by full electric car um this nice race which I had to walk or to fly so we say the strategy is that I go by muscle power wind power and Thomas the supporter starts with uh, electric power and for us it was uh, a good challenge or but also good motivation in the preparation to learn how to manage all these tactics things to to bring not too much things so the We had a lot of compromises with the small car. And uh, finally, it was a good focus and motivation to to see how it works or can it work. And for sure, everybody was smiling. Also, the organization was smiling when we bring the electric car. And four years later, we had an electric car too from Audi, the (laughs) e-tron. So it was an official car from the from the organizer sponsors, and I think we was we was uh, really uh, fresh in this in this uh, electric power, but it was a good motivation for for us and also for our partners and sponsors, and yeah, finally we start the race with a lot of unknown, with a lot of challenges also on the ground, but uh, we was really lucky that the day starts or the first day starts really good flywise. we flew more than 150k in the first day and was already at the second turn point in the evening nobody expect and uh, it was a hard a good motivation to start a race uh, with this flight
0: yeah that was an amazing day yeah. that was uh, I, I landed that day down in the on the river just this side of the kimsey i, I think i was in fourth and i was so excited that I dropped my gloves and my earpiece, and I ran towards the river because I thought oh, I got to get to the top and get off with those guys. And I was so excited, and a rookie that I I left a trail of stuff behind me, <laughs> you know, like your phone, your phone thing with the I 2009 could, yeah. race. I learned a lot that day about yeah, yeah. okay, wait a minute, slow down, check your stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a long race; it doesn't doesn't all happen today.
1: Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and finally, I was walking with Paul. And yeah, it was it was really nice. It was the first one. He he went quite north in in Germany, in the flat, and and it was for me it was an unknown area. And on this day, I made the on the second day on this race, I made a mistake. I was pushing too much, flying alone, and and then Paul catched me, and or he overpassed me. So it was a good learning, and then I was focusing on my own and and keeping my own pace and uh moving more smart and and then it it continues like this and and with the electric car it was working and uh, finally it was 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 nice then crossing from Germany all the way to Italy and to Meran and and further on to Brenta it was uh was really nice i was together with Sebastian Huber a german he was new in the he was also a rookie this time and he, he was really pushing hard on the ground. I thought already it's uh, maybe uh, his turn but finally uh, flying afterwards to Monaco make the change. We was really face to face until Ansi and on the, on the on the last day I was making a little difference in the air but that was uh, it was a hard race with him and and I realized that that uh, new face is coming in.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I wish we could still see him in the race. He kind of came in and did his thing and that was it. But yeah, that he was strong that year. And then that was also the year late uh, as you and Sebastian were heading to Monaco. Paul made quite a nice move. It looked like it was going to be a really nice move. He kind of stayed west to the Grenoble side and uh, had a nice flight. But uh, in the in the end, you guys got him. I, I not really remember... The last
1: last things, but there was the night pass. The night pass was new, so and Paul he, I I use it at the beginning, so I not had had it anymore, and and Paul bring it in, and he made a good walk in the night. He could catch catch up the, the first group, and and then he was really in the in the good position. Then he third, and uh, Sebastian second. So, yeah, it was it was a really, uh, in the end it was a really hard race for me it was different to 2013 when I was really in a lead and I was really happy that I made it and there was the year which was um I think the most people or the most athletes in goal There was more than or I think 18.
0: 18 19 or 19 or something Yeah, yeah it was a lot
1: yeah that was cool
0: yeah that was the first year I think they changed the 48 hour rule um yeah the it used to be 48 hours. And so I remember that being our goal is that I have to get in within. And we did. We got it. So in the old rules, I think our team would have been the last ones in. But yeah. then that year was the one they changed it to 12 days. And yeah. so a lot more got in. That was fun. That's true. Yeah. That was the year I decided I didn't like Monaco very much. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, I, not friendly at all with Monaco. I no. emotional. It was nice to arrive at the sea to swim. but but after it was always a bit hard to to have this cut from the adventure into the city and yeah. um, it was uh yeah it was was uh, crazy to to come back in in the reality
0: <laughs> yeah it was very anticlimactic i found just uh, being in the in the in the concrete jungle and hot oh so hot really out there the, always. there were a lot of accidents that year i don't know if you remember but toma had a bad one and yeah. Uh, Tom de Dorledo had a bad one. There, there was quite a few withdrawals. Did you have any any uh, really borderline situations, any scary situations with the wind?
1: Yeah, in 15, the problem was the windy days. So there was a lot of windy days with the fern. I remember when I crossed from the south uh, of Switzerland towards Engadin, there was the, the Corvach, it was the turn point. Um, mm-hmm. there was the forecast was clearly that it comes fun. Um, there was the day when uh, Toma uh, landed and he was blowing away with his glider and he uh, crouched his face. Uh, Vici was with the collapse and the rescue landed in the lake. So he yeah. was blowing above the lake after the throwing the reserve and the lake was really cold and there was no boat to rescue him. So he was really happy, uh, lucky to swim Myself uh, to to save himself, and finally I think it was just because of many windy days, but also there was rough conditions. Aaron told me with he had heart collapses uh, because it was so rough, and myself I I was docked in the in the wind in the in the fern, um, myself in uh, in Ticino when I flew from from the Engadine Valley crossing by foot to the Ticino Valley. Uh, I launched with with easy wind, but when I crossed to the main valley from Gotthard to Ticino, um, I spent 2000 meters straight away down uh, without any meters in front. So it (laughs) it was just uh, too windy. It was more than 50 in gusts, 60, and and it was not um, efficient anymore. I spent after all the all evening work, walking and was lucky to have no wind at the next day next day to, to fly, continue to Valleys. I think there was always hard days because when it's too windy, it's easy. When it's raining, it's easy. When it's flyable, well, it's easy. But the days which are at the border, when it's windy, when it's foggy, when it's raining a little bit, then it's always... Difficult to have the good decisions, and I think fifteen was one of the most difficult years because of these unsure days.
0: Yeah. Do you are you surprised? There's not more accidents.
1: I think with the selection of the athletes, the organization bring a lot of safety in, and they are the athletes are really trained. They also train more hard than for other competitions. Then we bring gliders which are a bit easier than the comp wings. The most of the athletes they fly high aspected wing and in the in the adventure they they fly easier wings so it helps. And for sure we are pushing but we also uh, yeah know the, the limits from the from the trainings. So if there is an accident, if there is a problem, pilots normally react even better than others. You can see this clearly in the acro scene. So when they train, the tumbles and they fall into the canopy. the Most of the cross-country pilots, they give up and they they crash uh, without the rescue. And the acro pilots, they fall into the canopy and they go out and through reserve. So they're really focused on, on this uh accidents and they can solve the the problems often good and I think it's the same with the with the adventure athletes that they that they know quite good what to do in strange situations and that's why the, the accidents are not so often or if there is an accident it's it's more or less good
0: Okay, 2017, uh, number five, another really pretty terrible year for weather. Uh, I think just you and Benoit got in that year, if I'm right, and Paul was Paul was close. Yeah. Um, let's hear about 2017.
1: Yeah, for me, it was the first edition without Thomas. So Tobias Stimler and Bruno Petroni was with me, so it was a new challenge to learn from each other how it works. We was the year before, and 16 we were together in the XP race it was working already well and I switched to Skywalk with the new glider which was working very good for this time. I was really happy. Finally the route was, was uh, new, it was even more long as every edition. <laughs> it goes more and more long and I, I understood to finish in these 12 days it could be difficult especially the turn points really in the south, uh, Monte Baldo. We, we heard that it's really stable often, and it's windy and not easy to, to cross. And yeah, it makes it really interesting. I was a bit frustrated that it was not more in Switzerland. So we, we managed Matterhorn from the south. And um, finally, it, it was heading directly from Matterhorn to the, to the goal. So there was no no normal route over France, and it makes a lot of of new uh, thinkings. Finally, we we was uh, managing well. There was uh, there was a, I or I was able to fly until Monte Baldo uh, with a nice flight, and then back to direction Switzerland, crossing Ticino. It was really nice, and then. Uh, for sure, the, the decision on the, the last part to fly direction France or stay in Italy, direction Torino and the flat, uh, it was really difficult. I expected always to fly to the west, following the good mountains. But exactly when I was there, there was a thunderstorm and I was really not uh, efficient on this day. And I had heading back to to Ivrea Turin, and I realized that it could be really difficult with the flat. But it was a new challenge and I made it as always. I, I was taking this decision, looking forward, making the next step. I remember Benoit was walking on one day 113 kilometers. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And I had to walk uh, 75 in this flat until the, the next mountain, which was uh, Gomeo Pass. And yeah it was it was uh, completely like a new challenge and like a new adventure and, and for me it makes makes it um even more motivated than, than maybe twenty fifteen. And uh, finally we was was really close and I was able to fly to the to the beach again and for me it was so nice feeling to to fly from far, arriving in the evening at the beach, have a swim. This was it was so emotional. It was so nice, and uh, I was really in a lead. I could see that Benoit is, it's close, but too close to fo- to catch me. And I was really starting, relaxing, and enjoying, even before I was in the goal. And uh, we was inviting uh, directly there in the house. Someone was inviting us, and and we all with the team. My. My mother was arriving, father, and, and uh, we stayed there in the evening, spent the night in the house, and it was so, so nice. And then the next day was just walking a little bit. But for me, it was the the year which I had uh, the most problem with my knees, because the first mm-hmm. day in this race, we had to walk from Salzburg over the Geisberg all the way to Wagrain. And this was, for me, it was more than 80k, I remember Toma Konea was running more than 110k because the first day was just from 10, uh, 12 to 10 so it was a short day and he was more than 100k running and for me this 85 was already too much and the, the knee was starting hurting, and it never recovers well so I was all the race with pain 10 days painful and this was uh, for sure, for me, the the hardest race ever.
0: Has that been any kind of a problem since your knee? Any is there any kind of recurring thing, or is that just from that overuse of the first day?
1: Yeah, it's because of overload of the first day because of this eighty-five k running and and hiking. The muscle was in a, with a strong tension, and then it makes the tension on the knee makes it uh, worse the days after, and then it starts to 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 be uh painful, I don't know the name exactly in, in english it's, uh, it, it, it's tendonitis
0: a, or something
1: yeah it's a, it's a knee. they say yeah. yeah
0: that was the one too. I remember watching you on live tracking, getting blown out of the mountains in that thunderstorm down south. I can't remember the name of that town south of Avrea, yeah. and you were going like a hundred and something k an hour, and there was airspace right in front of you. We talked about this on another show, but you yeah. even going even flying that fast in what it must have been pretty scary air. You you went around the airspace. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would have just flown right through it. <laughs> yeah, this was
1: this was really strange because I was hiking up, flying down this day all this all the day, and then at once there was a thunderstorm coming. I was resting for thirty minutes under a rock. Afterwards it clears up and it looks quite flyable and I wanted to fly more west into the mountains to, to finish on the, on the good flying mountains. And I took off in, in, in nice conditions but from the west the next storm came and when I flew I realized that it starts to be really windy. Then I wanted to go down to have less headwind. I spiraled down for 600 meters and after the 600 I realized that it's even more wind down there. <laughs> and <laughs> then it was really good to have this plan B to rest to rescue in the in the flat. I realized with the airspace it will not be easy or for sure not efficient because I had to fly crossing the direction line uh, or the direct line to the goal and and this was, in this case, it was not important anymore. I, I was sure to rescue and to save my life. And then I flew away with the wind. And I remember I made a screenshot on my phone with the speed of 113. <laughs> and it was not turbulent. It was just windy. And I I flew away for 17K in, in, in a short time. And I landed in the flat, very safe. In the sun, no problem. The storm was not reaching the landing, even, but I had to walk for 75k. After oh, Russia, a, Russia, it was God. very expensive, but for me, it was <laughs> expensive, the only flight. Way. yeah. But for me, it was the only way to stay safe.
0: 2019, uh, yet again, longer, uh, but in a lot of ways, nice weather. We had no fern that year. Uh, I don't remember ever having to even think about a launch they were all you just went up and you could launch that we had the we had the kind of tough days in the middle of the race and then we had that crazy sandstorm that came from africa that you know it was over 100 degrees in chamonix when i went through chamonix it was so hot and so stable which i found very challenging but yeah what what was what are your what are your best and worst memories from 2019
1: it was the year they they top landed on mont blanc 60 pilots yeah. top landed at 4,800 meter and I remember Toma Kokonea he flew up to 6,000 meters it was so hot and the, the terminals was so good it was unbelievable myself I was uh, at this good day I was in the goal <laughs> I was in Monaco it was all, also 40 degrees it was horrible but I, I watched on the live tracking and I was really interested or impressed to see the heights they, they gave yeah um, for us, the race was was, uh, was good because uh, I was with the new team, Andy Chaplin and Steffi Westerhuis uh, gave me good support, and we was again in Switzerland. Um, there was the turn point in, in Switzerland, it was Titlis, a uh, 3,000 meter peak. I was really wondering how I can reach the the peak. Finally, I had a good flight from Davos, from Turnpoint, um, in the good route direction, uh, Titlis. And I know the place a little bit, not, not that good, but I was able to top land. And, and for me, it was uh, like uh, Christmas. It was so nice because the peak is so hard to climb by foot, it's so high. And I, I top landed in the evening. I signed... There was a storm coming, so I really could stay for more than an hour at at the top. And there were some friends there, uh, and uh, I really spent uh, joy, and I I was really uh, relaxed at this time because I, I made it. It was the middle of the
0: race, but I felt like I got it and yeah that was the that was the winner that was the game winner for yeah. sure that year at top landing there because that's yeah. that's a big one to climb and everybody else had to climb it. it's a it's a long way up. yeah
1: yeah this was unbelievable and and on the evening i flew down uh many friends was was joining me in the evening and the next morning and then i was really at home crossing uh by foot all the the valleys it was a hard next day because i made five thousand four hundred meter in vertical, just gliding oh. down. It was my—I think it was the the most I did in uh, X Alps day. But uh, yeah, it was at my home place, and, and I know it well. But but it was not working in termling because I had to hike. It was a really hike and fly day. <laughs> yeah.
0: The now you're you're reminding me of something that was pretty remarkable that day. You took off from Davos really low. Uh, you just signed the board, walked across, came up a little bit and maybe you and I talked about this. I can't remember, but I thought you had, you kind of knew, okay, if I can make titless, I got to do it in this amount of time so that you worked it back and tell me if I'm got, if I've got this wrong, but you worked it back and decided I have to take, I can't take any more time to get higher. Or was it just, you just felt like you could get out of there because you took off really low. Yeah, right. You just benched up from low.
1: Yeah, it was it was a really hard decision. The locals says it's not working. I had to go more up, but I know that if I want to do this one hundred kilometers to the Titlis with the average speed of twenty five, it's four hour flying. I have to start now, because otherwise it's not working. And it's a lot of things working like this in an adventure race. That you have to take a bit of a risk. It's like a poker. And then I say, okay, I can try. If it's not working, I have to walk anyway. I spent 15 minutes for trying, packing. But if it works, I can do titlis. And then I really gain a lot. And and finally it works. And I think it's it's something which helped me a lot in the, in the past. That I really think like this. So trying... To, to gain a lot. And finally I was in a lead of 30 minutes compared to Maxim. And in the evening I was one day ahead. And yeah. and it's because of this risk. And for sure it was a risk, but I also, when i was walking up, I got a feeling from the, from the terminals, from the wind. I saw clouds, I saw birds, and finally it gives me a good feeling. And with this good feeling I, I tried. With, with a really bad feeling or if there, for example, is no wind, I not try and say, okay, let's try now or never. Yeah. <laughs> and it needs the experience. It needs a good feeling. And, and then also it needs to try because with the good feeling and to say, normally it works like this, but I hike higher, <laughs> then you not win.
0: You're right. Right. You got to gamble when when the gambling's good.
1: Yeah, it it needs this consolation of of a good feeling but also to to try and to to have the gamble.
0: Before we go to 21 because I know you got a hard out here in about 6 minutes so we're trying to move through it but before we go to 21 any any real memorable mistakes in 2019 or problems or issues that still stick with you?
1: I think I make many small mistakes or in the beginning I realized Okay. There is every day. I realize that there is many small mistakes, and they can do better here. I can I can eat better there. But then, in analyzing, I say every team do a lot of mistakes every day. So it's typical for an adventure race because of the unknown, because of the stress, because of a team. Every team have problems and and do mistakes, and then I think about what I can improve for 21 and together with Thomas, we start to say, let's try to do less mistakes. And this was a really good motivation to say, we do something which is not possible to do zero mistakes. We not can do a race without risks. So you have to handle the risks and the mistakes. And finally, it gives us a good good strategy to think about what can be a mistake at the next move what can be mistakes in the next days and to think about uh, reduce the mistakes it helps us to to be more uh, serious with us by self and to reduce the, the mistakes which makes us faster and in in general when I watch back, I'm really proud about about myself or about the teams I had that we not really make big mistakes. And I also think Mm -hmm. because of this, we was always fast. Because the others are also fast in running, the others are fast in flying. And with these mistakes they do, maybe they got or they lost a bit the um, self-confidence. And without this, they make even more mistakes. And for us, we always was able to to be realistic and to say, okay, we made a mistake, but it's done Focus on the next step. And with this thinking, we was always able to, to be quite good in the end compared to the others.
0: And uh, speaking of compared to the others, we had a tight race, much tighter than ever before, really, in, 20, uh, in 2021. The same length as 2019, but a totally different route. First year, we didn't go to Monaco. And uh, an out and back with Mont Blanc, which I know you were thrilled about as I was. That was pretty exciting. Uh, And really tight until the big move. Uh, It's got to be a famous big move now these days. I think that was day eight. But uh, for me, the weather in 2021 was, was pretty terrifying. It had all the wind of 2015, but also just there were so many times where i would land and within seconds it would just be a deluge just incredible downpours and really strong fern yep. and uh some really violent weather uh, for for much of the race maybe not the first 3 days but um yeah tell me about 2021 cuz from the from the live tracking it was you know the the top 10 were pretty tight for a while yep.
1: Yeah, it already starts at the beginning. At the first day, we was really in a windy place. So, Maxim and some others was climbing. And I did not want to go as close as them. And I was not climbing. And finally, I lost a bit of a distance. So, I was in the back already after some hours. But in the evening, I managed quite well. So, I was quite good in the position for the second day. On the second day... I, I don't know why, but I was not able to, to climb. There was Benoit and, and Markus, they went. The erection Kitzbühel, I, I really had a delay compared also to Guschelbauer, but also Maxim. Pino made a big mistake on this second day, so he uh, had a, a lot of uh, disadvantage. I could drop, uh flew in a good group, and we made Chiemsee. Uh, and in the evening I had a nice flight direction west I had a, a good advantage and then in the next morning I don't know why but it was not climbing at my place I spent one hour on the same hill uh, trying to climb and and Patrick catched me even uh, after uh, an hour flying so we was we was uh, close together at Lermos. But in this evening, the strong wind brings us quite far. Direction Alberg. And then the weather changed. And I really was impressed how good the conditions was for flying. Because the forecast was always very bad. <laughs> uh, and, um, and, and day three, the weather was really, really bad in the morning. But in the evening, it was quite good fly week, flying. The, and we could do the Swiss turn point, Santis, crossing direction fish and and finally that was the day which starts to be really difficult with the wind with the rain and the clouds and and I think all the teams was on the limit um, in these conditions uh, I heard a lot of feedbacks about uh, the days when when pilots was on the limit but um, yeah for sure to just to walk it's not an option because if the others are fly and, and they do well, then they are much faster. So you always have to think about solutions to fly, but also to to have enough safety to have always a good plan B. And uh, for me, I was really not in the flow on this day. I was always thinking with the forecast, okay, let's do this. And then the rain came earlier or there was bad wind. There, I not understood what I do wrong, but... But it's sometimes like this, sometimes it's it's everything works, and for me it was the race two thousand and thirteen was unbelievable because every plan we had was perfect all the six days and in twenty one the the first two days was okay, but then day three, four, and five it was was not working as we expect, and to to say, okay, it's like this, continue focusing. It's really important, but but we not or I not understood what I do wrong. And then when I do the the big flight at day eight, uh, everybody say, told me, "Wow, you did a magic move! Uh, how you can can imagine this weather and and how you can fly like this, and where you got the good information for this?" And I was surprised because for me it was nothing else than the days before. I just focused mm-hmm. on the next solutions i I choose uh, an option and I try to do my best and It was nothing else, but on this day it was really working well <laughs> so it was <laughs> it was for us it was nice and Finally, I analyzed a bit and I was more confident to stay in the north because I know the area a bit better and I expect to start earlier than in the south. I expect to have more options because I can stay in the north or I can fly to the south if there is better conditions. And I hear also that that the French, uh, Maxim and Benoit, they had uh, forecast that it's uh, good flyable in the south too. Because of the wind, maybe it's better in the south. And for the others, for Patrick and Simon, they continue in the south, so they not even came to valleys to the north. So for them, it makes more sense to stay south. And this was my luck that that on this Sunday the the condition in the south was was cloudy, it was stable, and it was not really flyable. And on my side in the north, there was was a bit windy, but but it was crosswind. It was um it was good thermals. It was high cloud base. And with the strong thermal and the high base, I was able to fly in the end against the wind because the the, the wind, the south wind, it was a kind of fern, but it was not a typically fern. There was not above 3000, and I flew above 3000. And on this layer, a, I was able to fly well against the wind. And yeah, it was a mix in between choosing a good option but also believe on myself and this option and then to try and then to be a bit lucky with the weather and that i can manage more than 200k on this day which was i think one of my most difficult flight more than 200 in life (laughs) Uh, yeah on on this day and it makes different in total this was unbelievable and we was sitting in a pizzeria in the evening all the team together And it was a a really nice and and enjoyable evening.
0: Does does anything, was it it uncomfortable for you to not be in kind of a commanding position? This was the first race where you'd had other races, like you said, where you were jockeying early, but for the most part, you've been out in front. And this was really until day eight, things were pretty tight. Was that different uh, in terms of the, the 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 fun that you had with your team or was it was that was that challenge quite nice was that was that something you quite enjoyed
1: if you just analyze the x-alps it was new if you analyze my my races i do since 25 years it means pwc it means cross-country flights we always uh, fly like this and and stay together all the time so for me it was not new it was just uh normal and mm. sure it was was after seven days nothing was working well or the other did also really well i was thinking about a hard final and then i was was really happy and relaxed after the day eight <laughs> but but in the end i think it comes closer and closer each edition you could see this here in the x it was close in the dolomiti superfly it was really close so the others they are really good coming stronger and stronger with the teams with the and uh so in the past it it was it was comfortable but in the future it will be really hard and this this is one part i i stay motivated i think
0: How old are you now Kriegel? I'm 40. 40. Yeah. Okay. Hey, before we sign off, last question, because I know a lot of people want to know this and maybe you've, you've covered this in your presentations, but yeah. live tracking kind of went glitchy on us in the X and you and Maxime are together the night before Rito made this incredible move. I have that right. Uh, not Rito. Um,
1: yeah. Remy.
0: Remy, Remy yeah. uh, got, quite a ways ahead of you guys. And it looked like you maybe kind of had it. And then you caught him the next day and you and Maxime were flying together. And then what did you do? How, how did I, I, we, I heard you top landed there and g- gained some more height and then you flew over his head, but tell it from your perspective because live tracking kind of went down and, and it was hard to tell what happened there, except that suddenly you were in goal and Maxime was walking.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really a, uh, an interesting uh, race in the end. Uh, the day when Pierre flew, passing us, uh, we was too much into the mountains. That was too windy, or I not flew because it was it was too too much energy and too windy. Um, and then next morning it was really beautiful because we st- we also was in the front of the ridge in uh, in good windy conditions and. At eight already, we were soaring up to three thousand, and it was was so nice together with Maxim. And then we catch up, uh, Pierre, and together with with days two, we flew quite efficient because they are the best pilots, also in cross country, and we was pushing really good. It was good fun, but then when it got really difficult, the the lines went um, tricky, and we went or. Maxim he he went from us because he was in a better position uh, myself i was in the middle and pierre was really low he was really lucky to not bomb out but in the end Maxim was in the in the wrong way so he he got stuck and we was continuing quite good and then we we came into the inflation of the sea breeze so there was stable air and i arrived on the last hill or last mountain this kunigo and I was stuck in the inversion, and Pierre came to me. And together we was trying, and I flew there for one hour and was not climbing at at a good position. And but above there was clouds, so I, I expected that it works. But I was not able to land at the west face because it was too rocky and too, too too forest, and it was not able. So when Maxim arrived one hour later, he he arrived maybe 100 meter higher and it was just enough to climb and uh, yeah I was a bit shocked and frustrated and I thought okay this this is over but then I flew around the mountain and I could land there on a small place and I climbed for 500 meters by foot because I I saw a place where I can launch above so I, I reached the place. Uh, yeah, it was it was hard a hard hour because I realized I, I I'm I'm not in a good position. I have to walk. I have to push. Um, but then I thought when I can fly until the beach, maybe I can pass Maxim and Pierre. And I expected less sea breeze as later I arrive, and I can can fly more further. And this was my my yeah, my thoughts in this moment and, and this helps me really to focus my own and to go step-by-step step. and it was uh, still more than 60k when i launched for the last flight it was very windy conditions it started to be cloudy but somehow it works also Pierre he landed but he landed more north so he was not in a good position to come into the wind into the good conditions it makes him slower at this time, and uh, yeah, it was it was really funny because I never checked the live tracking during flying in the races because I focus on my own, but on this time I was really wondering what Maxim do, and because everybody watching the live tracking, they was killed, and it was not working, <laughs> and I I I contact my supporter, they don't know. At all because they was driving <laughs> and did not see Maxim and so it was uh, flying in unknown um, but then it was really nice because I was quite close to the ground in the flatland and at once it was climbing and I try to climb with zero five, zero two, zero eight for three hundred meters and then it was finished and I say okay, at least three hundred meters. I can save another 3 kilometers and then in after 2 kilometers there was that thermal of 2 meters and it was climbing oh. so nice in the evening and it was so smooth and it was it, it already the first turn felt really good and then i was sure i made it i can make wow. it wow and and Special. then there was uh, there was a really good one that brought me up 1000 meters in the flat and the glide ratio to the goal came down to 13 and I almost made it to to the goal or to the finish and and it was Whoa. really uh, a nice a nice experience because because of the pressure because of the of the tactic move I made on the end and because also because and and I, I not see on the live tracking what Maxim does so I was really unsure uh, where I stay what and when I landed. I was still 3k before the goal and I expected that Pierre came maybe flywise so he can catch mm-hmm. me. And I was really uh, watching to the sky to, to try to see him. <laughs> I packed my glider, I start uh, walking fast and I say, okay, let's finish quickly. And uh, when I realized that I'm in front, that I can win, it was, it was so so a good feeling. <laughs>
0: It was a cool route this year. Yeah. Okay, I, I lied. One final, final question. <laughs> do you have right now in preparing for the X-Alps, are any of the other competitors part of your strategy? And what I mean is that, are you marking anyone in particular in terms of how to prepare to beat them? you know, uh, whether that be Benoit or Maxime, those that you feel are the biggest threats. Do you change anything because of them? You know, I I know in a World Cup, you might have certain pilots that you definitely want to keep an eye on uh, in terms of where they are and what they're doing. But is that the same in adventure racing or are you just focused on you?
1: Yeah, what I can see clearly, it's that they really have good skills in hiking for sure, in flying as well in the team, but I realized that following the leader it's very much easier than than stay in the lead because leading means you have to think about options, you have to have the decision for a good option and then you have to try and to always to think about it will work and this needs a lot of energy and power and as soon I, I go in the back, I can just follow the, the leaders because the line is the best and yeah. And this, these are two games, I think. And and to yeah, we analyzed the races when I was in the back, and I I start to to think differently, and I realized that leading is much more work than than following. Um, but for sure, they they can they can with a good follow they can come close to the end, and with a bit of luck they can win for sure. Because leading is one part and controlling is the other part. And for me, in a World Cup, for example, it's the best to control close to the goal and then to, to push or to make a tactic, a risk, to win the, the the day. And as closer we come in the adventure race, as more and more it goes to this tactic to control until the end and then to risk more to win.
0: Mm. <laughs> Kriegel, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. It's great to have you back on the show. And it was wonderful to relive so many of those special moments. Good luck in your preparations. Say hi to Thomas. I hope you, uh, you put together a great team. And I know we'll all be super excited to watch you this June. But thanks, Kriegel. Appreciate cool. it.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, everybody. And see you soon at the next race.
0: If you find the cloud-based Mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost so if you can support us financially all we've ever asked for is a buck a show and you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out we put a new show out every two weeks so for example if you did a buck a show and every two weeks it'd be about $25 a year so way cheaper than a magazine subscription and it makes all of this possible. I do not wanna fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't wanna do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people, and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime. And hopefully in a, you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based Mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.